So I'm wondering if you could tell us a bit about what are your goals here? Um, what do you expect from the relationship? And to the degree that it's rocky or not, um, how can South Africa-U.S. relations improve? Well, uh, good afternoon and afternoon to everybody who's joining us uh, uh, today. And thank you to the council for inviting me to have this conversation. I don't think uh, the relations between South Africa and the United States are rocky. Mm. In fact, they're very good. Uh, the United States is our third largest trading partner worldwide, mm -hmm. China being number one, uh, Europe number two, and then the United States. And we have uh, very, very strong links in the business sector with a number of U.S. Uh, multinational companies having establishments that are very successful uh, in South Africa. And we really value uh, that relationship uh, politically. Uh, we relate very well, I think probably better with the Democrats and the Republicans, uh, but certainly very good uh, relations. Uh, you'll all recall how President Trump described Africa, and no one has apologized for that as yet. Mm -hmm. um, so with United States, the country, I think there are very good established uh, relations, uh, which are proceeding extremely well. One of the uh, most important links between ourselves is the support that the United States provides um, in the fight against HIV and AIDS in South Africa. This was a global AIDS program begun under the leadership of President uh, George Bush, and uh, it has really proceeded very, very well. Um, has provided tremendous support in reducing uh, infection levels, in making treatment available, and really works primarily through uh, support to non-governmental organizations to actively uh, uh, join in the fight against HIV and AIDS. But uh, as I said, um, on the international stage, we relate very well. Uh, we may not have shared perspectives on everything. Mm -hmm. uh, we do differ, for example, we have a very strong attachment to the struggle of freedom of the people of Palestine. Mm -hmm. The United States may not share that in all uh, uh, sectors, and this is something that concerns us. Uh, we believe human rights should be available to everybody equally and not to some. Uh, and that if we say that we committed uh, to freedom, uh, human rights and democracy, it doesn't mean to a particular country or people, it means all over. Uh, so we try to espouse that uh, perspective. But uh, I'm very glad that President Biden has invited uh, President Ramaphosa to meet him. Our last uh, meeting uh, in the United States was of African uh, presidents, heads of state meeting President Obama uh, several years ago, and that was the last uh, uh, summit that was held between uh, African heads of state and the head of state of the United States of America. President Biden has, I think in his term in office, uh, invited different heads of state to meet with him. And I do understand that at the end of this year, there will be a, a summit involving several uh, heads of state. So we're very pleased that our president is invited for this bilateral uh, meeting where, again, we will talk about trade. Economy is very important for us yes. because if we don't have growth, we can't address the challenges confronting South Africa. So I believe they will focus uh, on, on economic matters. 
Uh, they'll focus on security because the issue of uh, insecurity and instability on the African continent in pockets of it uh, is of great concern to us. And then the matter of health as well, uh, re- related to pandemic uh, preparedness. President Biden has been vocal uh, in supporting our initiatives to have Africa uh, do more in innovation, science and research in order to have the ability to produce treatments on the continent as well as diagnostic and other tools. Uh, so they will discuss health. Um, and thirdly, uh, we will uh, discuss our belief in multilateralism. Mm-hmm. We strongly believe that the global multilateral institution that all of us should support and uphold is the United Nations and no other. Uh, we don't think there should be another multilateral body espoused by anyone and we'd like to see a strengthening of the UN uh, to play uh, the role that it should play in ensuring world security and global development. We're disappointed with what has happened with respect to Ukraine and Russia, particularly given that Russia is a member of the UN Security Council and this has pointed to um, attention uh, needing to be given to what we've called for over many years, that is reform of the UN to make it more suited to a very different world circumstance. Very long answer to your brief question. but No, 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 it's uh, great. No, I'm, I'm going to follow up um, on a couple of the points. Um, I think probably most important, it's very um, reassuring uh, that you, as a minister of, uh, as, of international affairs and cooperation, view the U.S.-South Africa relationship as a constructive and positive one. Um, I guess the perception is, even you know, across different administrations, um, whether President Mbeki, President Zuma, President Ramaphosa, or President Clinton, President Bush, Obama, etc. And we all know that President Trump was a bit of an outlier in terms of his approach to Africa. But there does seem to be. Yeah, we disagree on issues. We tremendously cooperate, particularly within the framework of the U.S. or South Africa-U.S. strategic um, dialogue, which South Africa has always insisted on with each administration. And, and it has been an extremely useful mechanism. But there is a degree to which the tone of South Africa's rebuke of the United States is very different than the tone that we hear even with uh, the Russia invasion of Ukraine. The principle may be the same, but the tone of when the U.S. went into Iraq, for instance, was extremely sharp and clear from South Africa, where it seems to be more muted uh, with the Ukraine-Russia. Even the tone of, say, you know, United, United States is putting draconian sanctions against the little island of Cuba, where, you know, our people have struggled for freedom, but you know, as if America didn't also struggle for freedom. And so there seems to be a real sharpness in, and I guess that that as diplomats, that sometimes reflects when you're with your friends, even when you know that they're not quite where you think they should be, you soft, it's a soft tone or a private tone mm-hmm. versus when it's not really friends, then it's a very public uh, you know, a statement. And so that, I think, is probably where the sense, I, I believe, in Washington is, is that we are not as close friends as we should be based on the extent of the cooperation that we have with each other across so many sectors, as you just mentioned. Mm. Well, I think relationships take place in different 
categories uh, and between different sectors. So for me, what is really important is to ensure that the business-to-business relationship is strong because that is the biggest contributor to the kind of development we wish to achieve. Um, As to whether I should make a Secretary of State happy or like me, Mm-hmm. That's less important than the trade issues. That's mm-hmm. that's my uh, approach. Yes, um, and I do think there is a distinction mm-hmm. between um, the support we enjoyed from Cuba mm-hmm. uh, during the struggle against apartheid mm-hmm. compared to a support that was given to UNITA by America, for example, mm-hmm. UNITA, which murdered our cadres. So um, there are reasons for. Uh, the perspectives that exist and one should never, I think, uh, try to pretend that there aren't histories. Sure. Uh, So, you know, Russia under, as Russia, the Soviet Union, uh, was prepared to provide support to the liberation movements. Mm. When many uh, governments were working very closely with the apartheid state Mm. and even murdering our leaders. So, uh, we can't suddenly, you know, forget that history and behave in a different way. But I think um, we've been uh, fairly uh, clear in our view that war doesn't assist anyone and that uh, we believe the inhumane uh, actions we have seen against the people of Ukraine can't be defended by anybody. Mm -hmm. And we've not defended them, nor have we been neutral about it. We've been clear. But what we have said is that a lot of the public statements that are made by leading politicians are not assisting in ameliorating the situation. Because the first prize must be to achieve peace. We've got to have a cessation of hostilities. And name-calling of one or the other, being very robust and vocal, doesn't assist us in achieving at a cessation of hostilities. This is why we've said we have to make greater effort at diplomacy, greater effort at drawing the parties together. We even proposed something that was done with us when we were fighting apartheid. They... Many leaders said, let us put together an eminent persons group of leading personalities who enjoy global respect, who will draw the liberation movements to a table, draw the apartheid leaders to a table, and support them in negotiating an outcome Mm -hmm. that leads to democracy. This was done with us. We've said we've totally marginalized the United Nations. Mm. The Secretary General is not playing the role that he should. And we've said, let us have this notion of an eminent persons group. Find a group of eminent persons, former presidents or whatever, who enjoy world respect and who'd be able to have uh, Mr. Putin and Mr. Zelensky around the table and say to them, let's sit down and negotiate a settlement here. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Let me let me pick up on the economic relationship. I think that's so very important. How do you see governments, our U.S. government, South Africa's government, facilitating uh, private sector um, investment? You said mentioned 17 percent investment of South Africans into the American economy, um, that the United States is the third largest trading partner with South Africa. How do we build on that strength? Because as you say, that is extremely important, um, particularly to your three goals of unemployment, uh, dealing with unemployment, poverty, and inequality at home. Well, um, one of the, the matters that we have to address 
is increased black ownership of the broader economy in South Africa. Uh, blacks tend to still be a minority within the uh, robust areas of the economy. Mm-hmm. They don't own land, they don't own shares uh, in businesses, so we've got to change that because we cannot really live with a history where the majority uh, are poor forever. Mm-hmm. So that has to change. And so this is why we're trying to re- uh, introduce uh, black economic empowerment. Um, however, its introduction has gone wrong in some cases and gone well in others. Mm-hmm. So we've got to get better at it. But addressing inequality and unequal access to the resources of South Africa is something that we cannot rest mm-hmm. at attempting to do. So that is one, is to broaden uh, ownership and have an inclusive economy where many more participate and have a real uh, uh, stake. Second, I think one of the things we have to address are fairer trade rules. Mm -hmm. We do find, for example, that it seems our scrap metal is more attractive, it's value added in other uh, uh, parts of the world, and so we get a lower price for scrap metal and pay a great deal for steel. So we're trying to change that dynamic. And when we try and change it, non-tariff barriers are imposed on us. Uh, And so we have to engage uh, with the trade secretary in the U.S., who I must say is a very good trade secretary because she listens. Um, And we do find that even where it is claimed that trade practices are very fair, actually there's a great deal of unfairness. Um, So attending to fairer trade rules that allow for value-added production and increased industrialization and manufacturing uh, capacity, both in South Africa but broadly on the African continent, uh, is a very big uh, endeavor uh, that all of us have have to do uh, much more on. Finally, we have AGOA, uh, the African Growth uh, Opportunities uh, Act, uh, which has been in existence for several years and has really been of great benefit to many participating African countries because it's allowed them to have goods come into the United States without uh, a very heavy tariffs. So mm-hmm. that's been uh, excellent. Uh, AGOA is up for review next year and uh, we're thrilled South Africa will be hosting the forum, AGOA forum, and we're hoping President Biden and broadly uh, Congress will agree mm-hmm. uh, that uh, AGOA is extended further because we think it's been really incredible. Wonderful. Um, we do have American, a lot of American companies that are investing in South Africa now um, and contributing. Is there anything that they could do better in terms of their entry into the market, or is there any other ways in which South Africa could do better in attracting them into the market on both sides? Well, I think one of the issues on which there have been quite a few complaints um, is a law that used to exist on what was called investment protection. Mm -hmm. And what it did was it imposed uh, a legal uh, 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 requirement on South Africa that it bears responsibility, so it guarantees in case of failure of, of some kind or any force majeure. Now, we felt that was a very unfair 
uh, agreement uh, to have and a law which had been in existence under apartheid. So we decided to revise that particular law. And I see many companies, particularly in the United States, have complained because they liked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we cannot bear that guarantee. It's just something that is unaffordable uh, for us. Uh, we think we must be fair. We must have you know, proper uh, security for investors in South Africa. But when we become almost an insurance company, mm-hmm. uh, then it's just overburdening. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is an aspect that has been raised uh, as a concern. Um, some American companies, and really from uh, many years ago, even those that invested under apartheid did attempt economic empowerment of black people. So your Pepsi... Uh, Coca-Cola, one or two others. Mm-hmm. Uh, you remember the Sullivan Code and mm-hmm. you know uh, uh, those affirmative action initiatives, uh, which did make a difference. So generally, when companies come into South Africa, they do understand black economic empowerment, probably from the history as well of the United States, mm-hmm. and so do uh, tend to fall in in a positive way. Not all, uh, but you know, fall in uh, quite well with, with our laws and, and our, our policy. Um, our labor laws are quite tight, mm-hmm. and so we've had to look at them. I think they're particularly... Uh, uh, implementable uh, for huge multinationals uh, but for smaller businesses they're very difficult mm-hmm. so we've tried to look at how we change the laws without disadvantaging workers or having them exploited uh, in order to not uh, compel smaller companies to become party to bargaining uh, chamber decisions that are taken with really big companies in mind mm-hmm. so these are some of the sticky Uh, uh, points that you have from time to time. But we've been uh, absolutely thrilled. President Ramaphosa in uh, 2019, following his election, uh, set himself a target of 100 million billion US dollars Mm -hmm. attracted into South Africa as foreign direct investment Mm -hmm. in his five-year term. We've reached 95% of that uh, in three and a half years. Uh, we continue to aim at the 100 billion, but we're very pleased at the progress. And many companies from the United States have participated uh, in new initiatives, new investments, increasing their plant presence and so on. So there's been, you know, good progress, but we need much more. Yeah, well, we've got Ambassador Brigadier there, and he's, we know he's going to yes, do the job the, for us. The 5% <laughs> is with him. <laughs> there's no question that things will get done. <laughs> um, we've, I've got about five or ten minutes left with you before we open it up to the members. Um, so let me just push again hard because I like the discussion and I like debate on uh, global governance. Right now, you know, in 1945, uh, when the Britain Woods institutions started coming into formation, most of Africa was colonized. Uh, so didn't really have a say mm-hmm. in the design and the setup of those institutions. And, of course, those who won the war took the power. Uh, now today, we're in a very turbulent time, pandemic recovery um, and preparedness. We have the Ukraine-Russia war um, in Europe. Uh, we have geostrategic competition between the United States and China. Um, things are moving 
Uh, and you you had said in a uh, one of a speech that you gave asking for more resources for South Africa's diplomacy in this time, you said transformation of the global system of governance must move from based on power to one based on rules. And we all talk about a rule-based international system, and we need to adhere to a rule-based international system. But truthfully, in state relations, power and rules guide uh, these decisions. So how does South Africa leverage its participation in many forums, the G20, the G7, the BRICS, the African Union, SADC, to try to have influence on the establishment of what the new rules of the game will be and how the power dynamics will come out in favor of the African continent, not just South Africa, having more say, more influence on those very things that you just talked about. Well, I think it can't just be South Africa. Uh, it has to be South Africa along with SADC, for example, or South Africa's with the entire African Union all of us in the G20, what we've been able to do in the G20 and as an invited participant in the G7 is to place Africa on the agenda of those uh, formations. Uh, so it's important that South Africa is there, but it must always realize it's there on behalf of Africa and not on behalf of South Africa mm -hmm. only. So that's very, very important. Second, um, you know, I think this notion of international rules is very comfortable for some people to use when it suits them, but they don't believe in international rules when it doesn't suit them because they don't apply international rules or law equally in all circumstances. So you can't say because Ukraine has been invaded uh, that suddenly sovereignty is important, but it was never important for Palestine. It's very peculiar. If you believe in international law truly, then wherever sovereignty is infringed, it must apply. And this is the point we've been making, that we use the framework of international law unequally, depending on who is affected. And we are arguing that that must change. And one of the interesting changes that has occurred is the sudden movement, because Russia has invaded Ukraine, that we say, okay, let's not allow the Security Council to just have the veto and let it pass. We take it to the General Assembly. When some of us had been calling for the General Assembly to have a greater say, we never enjoyed support. But suddenly today, see, that's where international law begins to mean nothing. Because for some, we see it as a cheating, and for others, we see it as a benefit. So our argument is let's revise the international uh, multilateral system to ensure that we observe that post-1948 has arrived. What is the revision that you're looking for? Well, it should be more representative, more democratic. If we retain the Security Council, regions that are not represented, they must have a space. And I think the move for the General Assembly to have a greater say is an important one. Mm -hmm. uh, and it should be for everybody, not one country. Mm -hmm. um, so already the signs are there. Uh, uh, let's, let's really ensure um, that we make these uh, changes, which several countries have been calling for for many, many years. Uh, we're now 54 uh, 
independent African countries that are members of the African Union. We have three rotating non-permanent members that are elected every few years to the Security Council. I mean, what is that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really think we've got to rethink uh, uh, the multilateral system, ensure it's more fair, more open, transparent and democratic. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. But, you know, the sort of rules-based and normative part of it does help keep things within some guardrails to a degree. No, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, I, one wouldn't deny that there should be rules. Right. No, no, no. But it can't be that bec- when it's this referee, that rule is okay. And then if it's a different referee, that rule... Except that's for when it's like. countries yeah. with power. Yeah, well... I mean, power, that's, that's, power, the, that's the geostrategic... Your power <laughs> must lie in the degree to which everybody feels represented. True. If your power lies in you yeah. having authority over everybody and bullying, yeah, you're not right. really powerful, you're a bully. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, Minister, you're not because what you're doing is building an alliance around interests, right? And there's very few countries that strike out alone. They strike out with many others with them who may disagree with another set of alliance partners. That is sort of also one of the rules of the international system that has always been there. Well, Ambassador, I think (laughs) the courage we must have, and hopefully the council would lead on it, is we must change the philosophy. Philosophy. The philosophical orientation has to change it, 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 toward the greater good. Yes, but you know, l- because otherwise, I'm powerful because yes. people are starving in Lesotho. Understood, which is crazy. Understood, but when we look at South Africa's engagement on the continent of Africa, it uses and leverages its power, not always according to the norms of the continent. For example, uh, taking over the chair chairpersonship of of the African Union, which always was held by a small country until South Africa wanted it under Zuma, which created a lot of consternation because it was a norm there that actually the small countries do. But South Africa used its power and its interests, presumably because it thought it had something to contribute, but it broke a norm. So this is what powerful states do. But, you know... Not always, and we don't want that. We broke that norm, which I think was good. We got a very good chair. Yes, indeed. uh, At the time, who did a lot of the reforms that were necessary. So you had a country that could drive reforms, which didn't take the AU back. Was which would have been a real problem. Yes, um, I would agree. And I think uh, a very new organisation, having had one yeah. chairperson, uh, uh, really we can't, you know, because the AU was new. They'd mm-hmm. only been the first, the former Premier mm-hmm. of Gabon. She was the second. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not sure that yeah. we broke a particular mould. Yeah. There be, may have been a particular mould under the old organisation of African Unity. Mm-hmm. But now you had a very different organisation. Uh, and uh, South Africa didn't impose itself. It was elected by everybody in a proper assembly. Mm, okay, Minister. But, uh, it's, it's before my time. Uh, but uh, there, there is an election. I've been in elections in the AU since becoming minister in this department. And uh, you have to achieve a two-thirds majority. Yeah, Minister, I'm going yeah. to do something that I learned in South Africa when I was ambassador there, which is agree to disagree. <laughs> this, is what, this is what I learned in South Africa. And we'll come back to the topic. Yeah. And the topic being where the the disagreement is partly is that the rules of the international system are there as guardrails but power is also a huge factor that even 
sub-regional states, the powerful one that's in that sub-region will use their power in the interests of their interests. And well, I don't know. It depends, doesn't it? And, and I would want to do case studies. Yes, to, we can do that. Uh, you know, examine whether indeed uh, <laughs> the exercise, as you call it, of power um, is totally uh, uh, negative in all cases. No, not negative. There may be instances where it might be, but let me give you an illustration. We, over many years, have had a very, very difficult political environment in Lesotho. Yes. So five years ago, Sadek appointed President Ramaphosa as the facilitator yes. in what essentially was an impossible job because Basutu just liked to somehow be in conflict <laughs> with each other. And the difficulty for us is whenever they have a political eruption, their people come into South Africa as refugees. Mm -hmm. So President Ramaphosa devoted a lot of time to drawing the different political parties together, the various stakeholders, traditional leaders, women, all groups, to converse about what form of political system mm -hmm. they wish to see uh, in place in order to end constant coups by the military to stop the politicians fighting and so on. And so it's been five years of very difficult work. Mm -hmm. Now, if South Africa hadn't had the resources to uh, pay for those stakeholder consultations, to have experts drafting constitutional documents and putting them before the Basutu to decide on, in the end, it's their decision, but you need to give that support. So that kind of use of power, I think, is good. Yes. Uh, but when you use your power to come in and support an opposition group that isn't popular in a country mm -hmm. and you essentially want to eliminate a popular one because it doesn't agree with you ideologically. Mm. For me, that's an abuse of power. Mm. So I don't know, you know, which aspect we're speaking of. We're just talking about the use of power, which is can yeah. be positive can be and good. also yeah. be negative. Absolutely. But it's also a, a key element. But I'm gonna. We're gonna come before we end. We're gonna come back to leadership. 